Before we get going with this week's show, word from a few of our friends. Let's start with BetMakers. For the first time in over a century, fixed odds betting powered by BetMakers is now available on track at Monmouth Park, and soon it will be available throughout the state. This is an exciting new way to bet that really puts the power to get value in your hands. The odds you bet are the odds you get. You'll be hearing a lot more about fixed odds betting opportunities across the In the Money Media Network. And our friends at Santa Anita Park and First Racing, First Bet as well. Santa Anita's late pick five payout on average on Saturdays and Sundays is over $4,700 for a 50-cent bet. There are huge wagering opportunities coming up. Gold Cup weekend, May 28th through May 30th. You've got Gold Rush Day on Saturday. Includes five competitive Calbred races with $500,000 guaranteed late pick five. You have to compete. If you like to play in contests, little $500 live money challenge. Coming up on Saturday on Express Bet or on track. On track players have an opportunity to win an extra $5,000 via a bonus. Hollywood Gold Cup Day on Monday. It includes three grade ones, a $500,000 guaranteed late pick five, and the 20 cent rainbow pick six. There's a mandatory payout. Certainly going to want to get involved in that. And compete in the $1,500 Gold Cup Challenge on Express Bet or on track with NHC spots and Pegasus World Cup seats available. On track players, again, will have a chance at winning a $5,000 bonus. And as always, don't forget those Golden Hour wagers combining Santa Anita Park and Golden Gate Fields. $1 minimum in the pick four, $5 minimum in the double. You've got a player-friendly 12% takeout in the last two races at Santa Anita and Golden Gate Fields for both the pick four as well as the Golden Hour Double. Again, our friends at Santa Anita Park, first racing and first bet. Be sure to check them out now on to episode 116 of the pod. What's happening? Welcome into the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In the Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, May the 23rd, 2022. It's episode 116 of the show. However you listen, thank you for doing so. Many ways to find the pod. If you listen audio only, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com, just to name a few. For someone who watches along over on YouTube, all you need to do Search bar, Matt Bernier Show, you will get this episode along with the 115 prior. Uh, and those of you over on YouTube this week, or maybe this is the first time you've checked it out on YouTube, uh, you'll just see the title slate. There is no visuals because I'm recording this at 10.51 Eastern out on my back deck. The baby is in the bassinet in our bedroom, and my office is directly beneath our bedroom, so trying not to wake the baby up, uh, and we had some appointments for her earlier today, so that's why the show's being recorded a little bit later. I've got the Blues and Avalanche game on. Eric Johnson just tied the game for the Avalanche at 1-1 in the second period. Eric Johnson, big horse racing guy, big owner out on the West Coast, I guess really all over the place, but um, pains me to say that right now because I'm someone invested in St. Louis Blues, both Western Conference and the Stanley Cup uh, as unlikely as it looks right now. I got to be honest with you, though. They've played really well the first three games. That 5-2 final in game three, uh, you know, I mean, it was 3-2 to two deep into the third period. So, you know, I, I don't think it's quite as lopsided as maybe some would make it out to be. But um, nonetheless, they, they are dogs for a reason. 
they almost put one home, but that's all right. Uh, anyway, I digress. This week's show, it's going to be, I don't want to say super tight, but it's going to strictly focus on the Preakness. Uh, I got back from Baltimore on Sunday morning following early voting's victory down there in Baltimore. Um, it was, well, we'll get into the performance in a bit. Uh, I had a great time, always have a great time with the NBC folks. That was my first Triple Crown event for NBC. I was fortunate enough to do the Triple Crown with SportsCenter in ESPN back when American Pharaoh won the Triple Crown. Uh, but this was the first Triple Crown event I got to cover with uh, NBC. And unfortunately, from a gambling standpoint, it was a tough one as the Avalanche take a 2-1 to lead. Oh, is it Nazem Kadri too? <sighs> That's annoying. Anyway, sorry about that. Um, I should probably turn the game off. I'm going to keep getting distracted. But uh, So, yeah, from a gambling standpoint, it was a tough weekend. Um, I don't want to say it had to do with the racetrack because I felt pretty in tune with the racetrack. I just couldn't figure out who was going to make the front. Uh, regardless of what pace figs I was using, what programs I was using, uh, and some riders, I think... You know, it's a difficult position, I'm sure, for, for riders to be in where you get someone like me or other handicappers that, you know, I wasn't the only one saying this, you know, try to make the front at all costs. But at the same time, the rider has to then go answer to the trainer and the owner of the horse. If for whatever reason, they're all out guns blazing early, they make the front and they cook the horse, then they've got to go back and answer the question. So I understand it's not as as simple or cut and dry as as you know, maybe I would like it to be from a purely from a gambling standpoint, but uh, one of those rare weekends where I I don't feel all that bad, considering I really wasn't that close on anything, with the exception of the Preakness. Um, and the reason I say that about the Preakness, about midway through the day, I sent a text to uh, the production crew for NBC. My pick for the Preakness. Oh, my goodness, and Colorado scores again. This thing could get out of hand quickly. Um, I sent my pick in early, uh, epicenter. But with the way the track was playing, um, I sent a text over to the truck, and I said, I, I've got to pivot to early voting. And I said, okay, no problem. And then I was playing along with Artie, the artificial intelligence handicapper from first bet. And the only way that I would go have a chance to beat him going into the Preakness was to have Epicenter win in early voting, who was his pick, finish off the board. Um, so just for the sake of entertainment and, you know, contest play, I went back to Epicenter, and sure enough, early voting gets the job done over Epicenter. Now that's when we can roll into our talk about the actual race itself. The racetrack on Saturday at Pimlico, to me was decidedly speed favoring, okay? The sprints may have been slightly more conducive to gate-to-wire scores. You can say that about many dirt races in general. Uh, but when you take a look at the chart for the route races, there was a little bit more action as far as horses making up some ground. But I think context goes a long way with these sort of things. You know, I'm sure some folks looked at the ethereal road victory and said, oh, well, what kind of speed bias is there? And not just him, but Mr. Jefferson rallied from sixth to finish third. I think understanding the horses that were in that race, and yes, speeds are out there and they can they can carry it a little bit farther. Keep in mind, the speeds that were cutting out the fractions in the Sir Barton 
were 12 to 1 and 35 to 1. They finished fourth and fifth in a field of eight. So they didn't completely pack it in, and they got passed by better horses. And if better horses can stay within shouting distance of far inferior, even with a major bias in their favor, the better horses are going to be able to overcome that and get the job done. So when you look at the Preakness and you see, well, Epicenter came from second last, Creative Minister, you know, the the chart will make it look like he was a little bit farther back than he, he was in actuality. I mean, he was fifth, half mile into the run, but he was always sort of in kind of a pocket position. Secret Oath rallied from last to finish fourth, and Skippy Longstocking had a little spot of trouble at the top of the lane, but came from a little bit farther off of it. Well, when you factor in that the pace setter, Armagnac, yeah, he faded to finish seventh, but if I'm being honest, I think I, I can make the argument that Armagnac's performance was the worst of the lot, given the way the track played. I'm not even going to get into the betting. I mean, that, that's been, you know, that's been discussed 17 different ways we know i mean it was all i tweeted was it was the rich strike effect no one wanted to let any horse that should have been a giant price go off at frankly i mean shit if we're being honest never mind the prices that they were i said some of these horses should have been three to four times the price that they they went off at you know happy jack should have probably been 30 to one he went off at almost just shy of 12 fenwick is the the obvious one. He should have been 50 to 1. He went off at 13. Um, to be honest, I thought the rest of the field actually, the numbers were pretty pretty reasonable compared to the value line that I put out over on NBCSportsEdge.com. Um, I'm actually going to pull that up on the fly just because I think that, just to illustrate where I was compared to what the actual off odds were. And keeping in mind that there's a difference between a, a value line, hello, hello, this is what happens when you record from a different area. You get audio from all sorts of different things. Uh, the value line, fair odds, what I would have deemed fair odds to bet these horses to win versus what they could have gone off at. Uh, I had simplification at 10 to 1. He went off at 8 to 1, so an underlay to me. Um, I had creative minister at 12. He went off at 10, an underlay. Realistically, I'm not betting either of those horses to win though. Uh, Fenwick, I had at 99. He went off at 13. Secret Oath, I had six. She went off at five. Uh, early voting, I had at six. He went off just shy of six. He went off, uh, 5.7 to one. Happy Jack, I had 50. He went off at, uh, just shy of 12. Armagnac, I had at 50. He went off at 18. Epicenter I had at six to five. He went off at six to five. And Skippy Longstocking I had at fifteen and he went off at uh twelve, twelve and a half. So those numbers weren't weren't way off. Um but anyway, my, my point point being about the racetrack. When you saw the fractions, and I know Timeform US actually had the the half split uh color coded red. When you looked at the fractions and, and where early voting was positioned compared to Epicenter and Secret Oath. I mean, it was going to be extremely difficult for either of those horses to run early voting down. Knowing that he's trained by Chad Brown, who is, if you don't think he's number one, um, he's he's 1B as far as trainers in the United States are concerned. You could even argue worldwide. Chad's as good as it gets. And, you know, I know everybody likes to, or people like to throw out the, oh, well, you know, the difference between turf and dirt, this, that, and the other. I mean, Chad can get a horse to run on anything. So 
when he's in that kind of position and you see where his main rivals are, I mean, man, that that's... I was watching the race with Steve Kornacki up on a perch at the finish line. Arguably the best spot in the racetrack. Maybe maybe Larry's spot up top calling the race is a little bit better than ours. But, I mean, we were right there. And they got to the backside, and Kornacki had, had a good position on Secret Oath. I said, man, this thing is over. How are they going to run down early voting? Well, initially I was joking, saying Armagnac's going to keep going on with it. But early voting was the one. I, I ran into Dan Illman from the Daily Racing Forum a couple times during the day. And I had texted him, and he and I always go back to whenever biases come up or anything like that. There was a cigar mile a number of years ago. Must have been one of my last ones in New York. And it was the cigar mile that Private Zone won. The day that it was an absolute, just you make the front, you win, period. End of story. And he was clearly the controlling speed in the cigar. And I remember we texted each other, or we, we looked at each other that day, and we said, I mean, how does this horse lose? He can't. But the way this track is playing, assuming he gets out of the gate, he's gone. And I had texted Illman middle of the day, and then you know I saw him when he came down by where I was. And I said, you know, doesn't early voting just go right out there? And if he doesn't go right to the front, he sits just off Armagnac? And that's, that's all she wrote? And sure enough, that's exactly how it played out. When you have a good horse, like early voting, who I will pat myself on the back, after that withers, I tweeted it. I know David Aragona liked the horse as well. There were some other folks that kind of rained on that and said, oh, you know, people getting excited about slow figs. Well, again, context goes a long way. You knew the horse was good the way that he kind of listened to command. For him to be able to take up that kind of position on a racetrack like that, boy, it was going to be damn near impossible for anybody to run him down. And give Epicenter credit. He did what he could do. Uh, he had a tall order ahead of him after things shook out the way they did past the wire the first time. But give credit where credit's due. Chad and company looked at it and said, the pace could be hot in the Derby. Yes, we've got the points. We're going to sit it out. We're going to go to Baltimore. We'll catch either inferior company or horses coming off of a two-week turnaround or a combination of both, which is more often than not the case. And we're going to put the boots to him, and that's exactly what they did. Early voting wins, and he earns a very impressive buyer speed figure of 105. I believe the pace-adjusted number for Timeform US is around 128. So they've even kind of, you know, Ticked it up a couple of a couple of notches, um, factoring in the fractions. It's the fastest three-year-old race that we've seen for for this generation, anyway, um, of the sort of the you know air quotes classic crop. Um, it may be actually the fastest three-year-old number period. Um, uh, for all I know, I don't have all the numbers right in front of me right now, but um, it, I mean it's a it's a good effort, no matter how you chop it up. But we also, you know, I've said before, multiple things can be true. He probably ran the best race, or if he didn't run the best, Epicenter did, and we'll get to that in a minute. He also had the dream setup on a track that was tilted in his favor. And his main competition was up against it. So you have to ask yourself, you know, this was the, 
ideal scenario for this horse. Doesn't mean he's not going to get better, but he's already damn good. Wherever he shows up next, whether it's the Jim Dandy or the Haskell, you're going to be looking at a short price on a horse coming off of a race in which everything went his way. Yes, he did go fast for, for a period there, but keep in mind, he had track in his favor, and he had about a seven-length head start on his main foes. And I'm sure some folks will listen to that and say you're taking credit away from him. I'm not. You, you know, be be reasonable. Be realistic about stuff. If you're ignoring that, you're just, I don't know, you're not being objective. It's not saying that the horse didn't run a giant race. He did. I just said it. I mean, I, I'm not taking anything away from him. I'm thinking down the road, next time out, from a gambling standpoint, probably going to be a bit of an underlay, just purely based on circumstances. Conversely, Epicenter has been up against it. He wasn't up against it in the Derby. I think he ran the best race in the Derby. I think there's an argument to be made he ran the best race in the Preakness. I don't know if I'm fully buying in that, that he did. I think, I think early voting probably did. But again, he did that with ideal circumstances compared to Epicenter, who did not. He had the complete opposite. For whatever reason, I think in hindsight... Joel probably would have, I, again, I go back to the, the hustling a horse out of there and trying to make the lead at all costs sort of thing. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you hustle the horse and get in some sort of a duel and he's got nothing down the lane, you're going to have to answer those questions. Or the flip side is you do what you did and now you got to answer questions about, well, how this horse has speed. Or he has some semblance of speed. He may not be a burner, but it's not like he's slow. What, you know, how does he not establish a position and then get pinched back? And, and next thing you know, you're eighth in a field of nine, and they're going 47 and two to the half. For Epicenter to then rally the way he did down on the inside, and I know he saved basically every inch of ground. Um, I thought he ran another bang up race. And he's he's too good not to have a grade one. I don't know when it will come, but this horse is far too good to not have a grade one to his name. I believe I, I read a quote from Asmussen in a, a racing form article from either Jay Privman or Dave Grenning that Asmussen, his sort of, I don't want to say preference, but his, his idea would be Jim Dandy to Travers. And it sounds like early voting, Travers is the goal. Neither of them will run in the Belmont in three weeks. You know, I saw some some chatter anyway about Epicenter being a money burner. I'm not saying many people feel that way, but I, there, there were some that were throwing that out there. And I just, to me, a money burner is a horse that has no excuse to lose races. This horse in his last two runs, yes, he was the beaten favorite in two legs of the Triple Crown. But he ran the best race in the Kentucky Derby and didn't win. I don't fault him for that. And the Preakness, maybe it was human error. Maybe he just got beat by a better horse. But he ran a winning race. 
So it's not like he's a no-show or he's doing dumb stuff or, you know, whatever the case may be. To me, a a money burner is a horse you can't trust. Epicenter has never, ever thrown in a dud. He comes with a run. So to, to classify him as a money burner, I think, is very unkind. And I think it's the wrong way to look at him. Uh, he is the only three-year-old of this generation with three triple-digit buyer speed figures to his name. He's gone 102, 100, 102 in each of his last three races. Uh, he, I mean, he's... he To me, he's the most reliable horse at this point of this group. And we'll get to that conversation in a minute. But... Boy, I thought he ran really, really well, and I think he's he's too good to not have a grade one to his name. And when he gets his grade one, it will be well-deserved and overdue. Creative Minister. Um, I, you know, I thought he ran fine. I didn't think it was a fantastic effort. I didn't think it was a bad effort. He does sound like he could be going to the Belmont. And <laughs> we'll talk about that field at the end. I mean, he would fit in there as well as anyone because it looks like a pretty motley crew that could be going to Belmont in a few weeks. Uh, Very little star power aside from Rich Strike. Um, An extreme sort of lack of pace in the race. But Again, we'll dive into that at the very end of the show. I thought he ran fine. Good trip throughout. Pocketed up, looked like he was ready to fire around in the far turn, went to kick, and he, he he ran well, but he just got out finished by the other two. Secret Oath, I thought she ran just fine. Uh, the track was not in her favor. She was taking on better horses. Uh, she carried ground rounding the far turn. She, she did what she always does. She put in that patented turn move, and she just flattened out down the lane. Um, she loses nothing in defeat here. Uh, I, I think she's... She's still probably the best three-year-old filly or one of the best three-year-old fillies. Um, and Lucas has said she's going to get a bit of a break now. Uh, knock wood. If all goes well, we'll see her up at Saratoga. She'll get a couple of runs there. And uh, I believe he's also talked about the Cotillion at Parks leading into the Breeders' Cup. So secret oath, good on her. She, she loses absolutely nothing there. The rest of the field, I don't have a great deal to talk about. Um, the simplification idea, I mean, he ran his race. Say what you will about the horse. I was unsure about my logic with him was, and there are people that liked him that I respect. I just couldn't, I couldn't see where it was coming from. He would have needed to improve and had others regress. And based on, he's been remarkably consistent. I mean, going back to, let's say what? I mean, really, if you want to go back to his second career start, October of his two-year-old year, he earned a 92 buyer. I mean, with the exception of the race in November, if you draw a line through that N1X where you're in a 59, simplification has earned buyers of 92, 90, 91, 96, 92, 96, 94. He is remarkably consistent, and it's admirable. But, but he's, not, he's not of the upper echelon. He's just, he's just not. Um, I don't know what their plans are with him at this point. You know, I, I, I'm not so convinced that he's really a distance type. Wouldn't mind 
a shorter run. Wouldn't mind a, a, a smaller uh, target. Look at some of the, the derbies in the Midwest. Turn him back to seven-eighths of a mile. Try something a little bit different because he's not he's not good enough to run with the best of his generation at these kind of distances. And the only thing I can think of is perhaps changing up the configuration of some of the races will be what unlocks his potential. Or, you know, there, uh, there's a very real scenario where this this is what he is. He's a he's a low to mid ninety buyer, good horse, can probably win, you know, the the West Virginia Derby, but he, he's not he's not a, a Travers or a Breeders' Cup kind of horse. Not right now, anyway. And and again, I just where's the improvement coming from? That that's my only question. So this pivots into and and any questions, thoughts, comments, whatever it may be about this race in general or Pimlico all day on Saturday. Uh, I'm not going to dive into the rest of the card, but if you have specific questions, I can roll back and touch on them for next week's show uh, beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. This made me start thinking a little bit, though, just bigger picture. Roll into the three-year-old talk. Who's boss? We've got we've gone through two-thirds of the Triple Crown. We are at the, oh, let's call it the end of May. It's coming up on Labor Day week. Oh, it's Labor Day weekend. Jesus, don't, don't waste the summer away. Coming up on Memorial Day weekend. Who's, who's the leader of this division? I, I just wrote down some names and some of the potential you know, credentials that they carry. I gotta be honest, none of them are, uh, <laughs> none of them are particularly inspiring as far as a, a, a division, a division leader. The Derby winner, Rich Strike. He's got one graded stakes win, happened to be the big one. Uh, his best buyer speed figures are 101. He had a dream set up to win the Derby. He's scheduled to run in the Belmont. If he wins the Belmont, he's clearly... I mean, he's the the shocker of all shockers in sports. I mean, ne- never mind horse racing. He's the shocker of all shocker in sports this year. He's the leader of the three-year-old division. And frankly, one of the other three-year-olds would need to probably win. If Rich Strike won the Belmont and the Kentucky Derby, let's say, let's use early voting because he's got the Preakness. He would probably need to win the Travers and then either win the Classic or finish ahead of Rich Strike in some head-to-head race to have any chance. But two-thirds of the, of the Classics, that's a pretty it's a pretty compelling... I, I would love to know. Off the top of my head, I don't know it. But what, what horses have ever won two-thirds of the Triple Crown and not been named three-year-old champion? I'd be very curious to know that. So... There's Rich Strike. Early voting, we just talked about. Two graded stakes wins. He's got the Preakness and the Withers to his name. Best buyer speed figure of 105. That's the best of the generation so far. Defeated Epicenter and Secret Oath. Two really good, really good. Two of the best. Three-year-olds, boys or girls. But he did have the racetrack in his favor, and he's not likely to run again until the summer. So his, his resume really can't be bolstered. I guess 
he could improve by default if Rich Strike turns into a pumpkin. Epicenter has two graded stakes wins, Louisiana Derby and the Risen Star. He's got a best buyer speed figure of 102. As I mentioned, he's got three consecutive triple-digit buyers. The only three-year-old as far as the classic kind of horses that can boast that. The last three races, 102, 100, 102. He's defeated as the favorite in both the Derby and the Preakness. He's yet to win a grade one, and he's not likely to run again until the summer. So, makes it difficult. You, you, I don't, as good as I think he is, I think he may be the most talented. But I can't sit here, and I shouldn't even say that. Because early voting may be more talented. There are other horses that we'll get to that could be more talented naturally. But I, I can't, I can't realistically say that Epicenter's the best right now. His resume isn't there. What about Zandon? This is when you really start to get into to reaching for who, who right now would be the best of the lot. He, Zandon has one graded stakes win. It was the Bluegrass. He's got a best buyer of 98. He's paired up 98s in the Derby and the Bluegrass. He couldn't get by Epicenter with a perfect setup in the Kentucky Derby, so it's difficult for me to realistically say he's better than Epicenter. Perhaps at a mile on an eighth would be a different story, but I doubt it. He's not likely to run again until the summer. Mo Donegal. Two graded stakes wins to his name. The Wood and the Remsen, but that's... Guess what? The Remsen doesn't mean jack when it comes to three-year-old honors. He's got a best buyer of 96. He's paired up 96s. He had a perfect setup in the Derby, even with the wide trip. And he didn't make a dent. And... Now, this is where he could really, truly throw his, his hat into the ring. He is... I'm going to say... Boy, is he the favorite in the Belmont, or is he the second choice? The real question is, how much money does we the people take on the heels of the you know the blowout win in the Peter Pan? I have, I have a feeling Mo Donegal is going to be the favorite. If he wins the Belmont, he throws his hat into the ring. But again, a non-threatening fifth or sixth or whatever he was in, in Louisville a few weeks ago, Hard for me to, to sit there with a straight face and be like, yeah, he's the best. Now you really get into the stretches. And I threw out two more names. One of them is, I'll start with Taba, who I you, you can't possibly make a case for him to be the, the three-year-old of the year right now. He's only got one graded stakes win. It was in the, it happens to be a grade one, but it was the Santa Anita Derby. He's fast. But it's hard to consider him the best given the Derby dud. I'm not giving up on him. I think the talent is immense. That doesn't. I, I don't give a shit what happened in Louisville. It's the same way I felt about any of these other horses that I've really liked that didn't run the way I would have hoped that they would have run. You know, in the Kentucky Derby, the talent is there. That that I have no doubt about that. But I can't say he's the best right now. He's not close to the best. The other one I threw out there was White Abario. But he's got two graded stakes wins. He's got a grade one to his name, the Florida Derby. He's got the Holy Bull. Best buyer of 97. He was never, ever a threat in the Derby, and he won't run in the Belmont. And I think they're probably going to be looking at races like the Ohio Derby. And you're not going to win three-year-old of the year with, with that sort of a resume. Not now. you got to win grade ones. 
So where does that leave us? A three-year-old division that's muddy at best right now. And a Belmont Stakes that, holy smokes, man. Just listen to the field. I believe this is from Naira. I saw it on, on Pollock Report, but it was from the Naira press office. And we're still a ways away. A lot can change between now and June 11th or, or whatever the date of the race is. Belmont Probables, there were only six of them. And then there were four possibles. The six Probables are Rich Strike, Creative Minister, Mo Donegal, Barbara Road, We the People, and Golden Glider. And then the possibles are Ethereal Road, Nest, Skippy Longstocking, Western River. If you have a three-year-old with any ability, any ability, preferably one that doesn't have, you know, Negative early speed. Take a shot. What do you have to lose? My question is, aside from we the people, Nest has a little bit, but she's much more of a, you know, I think she'd like to settle a few off of it. Where's your speed? We the people, I was initially, you know, looking at him being like, this is going to be great. He's going to be the, the second choice, maybe. He's going to get way over bet on the heels of a, of a wet track air. Who's, who's running with him right now? Rich Strike has no early speed. Creative Minister is more of a sort of presser mid-pack. But let's say let's say two to three lengths off of it. Mo Donegal's a closer. Barbara Rhodes a closer. Golden Glider, I, I guess, off the top of my head. I'm trying to remember what, where he was positioned. He certainly wasn't with We the People. Ethereal Road's got no speed. Nest, we just mentioned. Skippy Longstocking's got no speed. Western River, off the top of my head, I don't even know who that is. I mean, you get Pratt out there dropping 49 for the half, this thing could be over. It can't be that easy, though. Can't be that easy. Still got a ways to go. Things can change, but... Boy, that would be my, my 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 call to action. If you got a three-year-old with any any ability, do you think there's even a remote possibility they'd get a mile and a half? And you know what? If for whatever reason they don't, I think this is another thing too. I believe it was Graham Motion who was quoted in a TDN article last week. Had to be. We were on, on one of the shuttles over to Pimlico uh, Saturday morning. Look at this. Did they score? No. They're on the power play. 4-2 Colorado Blues are trying to chip away at this thing. They're on the power play late in the second period. Uh, anyway, we're on the shuttle over to the racetrack, and the article came up, or I brought it up, the and I believe it's motion. I apologize if I'm wrong. Someone can correct me. But he said, you know, trainers, we are so conditioned to think about win percentage and things like that. And I was only bringing it up purely from sort of a gambling standpoint of, you know, I'm, I'm not terribly concerned about 
how often I'm right. I, I'm going to take chances when I feel like I'm getting the best of it, when I feel like I have an opportunity to make a score or to be right at a price. I'm not worried about just going out there and churning out favorite after favorite after favorite because I want to hit, you know, four out of ten. I, I, I don't care that much about that sort of thing. People do, and some folks will hang their hat on it that, oh, you know, I went so, so I went six for nine today. Top price winner was seven twenty. Good for you, man. That I, that does nothing for me. And maybe you're right and I'm wrong. I'd rather go one for ten with my one winner paying fifteen bucks or sixteen bucks. Blue score. Four to four to three. Means we have to stay up and watch this game. It's eleven thirty on the East Coast. Well, maybe I'll stay up for the babies feeding at one o'clock or whatever it is. So in in that vein, the idea of if you have a horse that has any ability, take a shot. And if for whatever reason the distance is getting to them, this is another thing that I think is, you know, maybe this would be controversial. I don't know. I would have no problem with with the trainer going into to a race like the Belmont, going to their jockey, saying, "Look." especially one that's got a little bit of speed. Go out there. If if you feel like the horse is not handling it, or let's say we get a mile and an eighth or a mile and a quarter into the run before we hit the top of the lane at Belmont, and you think the horse is cooked, pull him up. Don't even bother with, you know, the the charade of, of pushing along. Just pull him up. Save the horse. Take care of the horse. Live the fight another day. But we took a shot. You get one opportunity to run in a classic as a three-year-old. When I say you get one opportunity in each of the three classics, you get one. If you've got a three-year-old, with, and that's why I have no beef with Nest being considered. Is she, does she stack up great against this group? I mean, frankly, if we're being honest, she's, she's not impossible against this group. But I understand anybody that's got reservations. I saw Andy Serling tweeted that he thought it was a ridiculous idea. I understand it sort of at face value. But if you don't think the distance is going to get you beat and you take a look at this group, what the hell? Why not? What would you rather do? Wait for Saratoga? You know? Again, I'm not saying it's an ideal position for her by any stretch. And and would she be among the most likely winners? No. But what's wrong with taking a shot? You know, it's a race that I think you can get a little bit creative with. We've seen crazy things happen in the Belmont before. It's such a unicorn as far as just what what it is, what the race itself is. You know, I think that I think it's a, the kind of race that you can take a horse that on paper doesn't really make a lot of sense, but. If you have circumstances that work in your favor, maybe you don't win it, but can you run third? Third for whatever the purse is, a million and a half, something like that, a million and a quarter? There's nothing to sneeze at. So if I had any three-year-old that was, you know, I'm not saying throw a, a, a 65 buyer kind of horse in the race. 
But if you got a, a, a good allowance to grade three type, preferably with a little bit of early foot, take a shot. If you think the breeding is there, I got no problem with that. I think more people should take chances. I'll leave you with this. I think the most one of the more interesting things coming out of this weekend for me, in terms of Chad Brown specifically, I don't think he would ever answer the question because you've got different parties involved. I mean, did didn't it doesn't it feel like early voting is like third as far as his three year olds are concerned? Behind Zandon and behind Jack Christopher. Which is wild to say because the only one with a classic victory and a, you know, the most prestigious victory of them all to this point is early voting. I would, I, he, I, I don't think he would ever say one way or the other and maybe he would behind closed doors, but. And you understand why he wouldn't. I mean, that's he's a smart guy. But that would, I would, I don't know. It's always, to me, felt kind of like early voting is is sort of third of that group. Maybe that performance on Saturday will kind of uh, change that, that lineup a little bit. But if you didn't believe in Chad's ability to train on dirt, you better you better come around on that because he's likely to have one of the favorites for the Haskell, whether it's this horse, whether it's Jack Christopher, whether it's Zandon. He's going to have one of the favorites in the Jim Dandy, one of these three. And then we'll find out how far they really want to go. I'm a little bit concerned about Zandon's... Once Zandon gets out to that, you know beyond mile and an eighth. He ran fine in Louisville. And I say fine. He ran well. I don't know that that was an ideal distance for him, mile and a quarter. This horse early voting got a little drifty. He's gotten a little drifty in a couple of his races down the lane. I think that has more to do with a little bit of immaturity and a little bit of greenness because uh, it's not like he was slowing down any. Uh, and Jack Christopher, I I said it last year, even before the Breeders' Cup and all that. I mean, he runs like a horse with with his hair on fire, um, you know, I'd have to go back and watch the Pat Day Mile again to see what I, I really truly think about his chances stretching out. But he had never really struck me as a, you know, mile and a quarter type. Maybe you can get a mile and an eighth. Maybe that's why a race like like the the Haskell would be a good target for him. But um, hey, it's 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 good to be Chad Brown. There, there's no two ways around it, and. Congratulations to the Connections, and it was a fantastic effort from early voting. A deserved winner of this year's Preakness Stakes, and he is among a a group of three-year-old males that, in a way, it's as much as I would like to have one horse and point to them and say, yes, they are the leader in the clubhouse. They are, you want to win, you got to go beat them. There is something fun about having a great deal of uncertainty going into the summer months where these horses are all going to continue to to grow and mature. And who knows, maybe you get a horse out of left field. Maybe we get an arrow gate where, we, you know, you didn't really know who they were at this point. And then all of a sudden they come out of nowhere and they they, they take ownership of the group.
uh, it'll be a fun summer. Let me know what your overall thoughts are about this year's Preakness, the way the track played at Pimlico, any other track, uh, excuse me, any other races uh, that you want discussed, horses you want to hear discussed. Uh, I'll talk about any of that sort of stuff next week for a little Q&A if there is enough interaction there in the comment section beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernier underscore Matt. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's about it for episode 116 here of the pod. Again, apologies for the little slight delay in getting things done. But, you know, family first, got to take care of the baby and make sure everything's good to go. Uh, horse player happy hour. Uh, it's not officially out yet as far as a, a start date, but um, spoiler, it should be in the next few weeks. So keep eyes out for that if you want to get back involved. All sorts of great stuff. PTF and I will be driving the ship there. Looking forward to another year of horse player happy hour in conjunction with our friends at the Breeders' Cup and horseplayers.com. Um, and I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Again, don't forget our, our, our friends of the show at the top. Uh, bet makers, Santa Anita Park, first bet in general, first racing in general. Uh, yeah, you name it, go check them out. Got a lot of good friends here at In the Money Media. Uh, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Questions, comments, concerns beneath the video player on YouTube, or shoot me a note over on the old Twitter sphere. Until next week, best of luck, however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. This has been episode 116 of the Matt Bernier Show.